You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Well, hey, good morning. How is everyone doing? You guys are looking good. You guys sounded good. Thank you so much uh, for being here this morning in person and online. Uh, Man, I am always so blessed to be out here in the congregation worshiping with you guys, hearing you guys. Typically, I'm up here. I'm playing guitar. Uh, And for those of you who don't know me, I am Pastor Bobby. I uh, oversee worship and adult discipleship here. And so typically, I am right here. But today, I'm bringing you the word, and I am just so grateful uh, to be able to share uh, the word today while Pastor Ben and his family are away on vacation. Um, And like Pastor Rachel said, there is one little announcement. Originally, we had a newcomer's lunch scheduled for today, uh, but we unfortunately are going to be postponing that until May 2nd, uh, just due to the rise of cases in our area and some cancellations that we've had. And so uh, make sure you sign up. And if you're new with us, we would love to get to know you. And so uh, sign up today. Um, But man, didn't the worship team do an incredible job this morning? Uh, Yeah, come on, man. All right. Uh, that, you guys have set the bar high for crowd participation. I just want to let you know that. So, uh, But, man, I am so uh, thankful and grateful uh, for Pastor Doug and the team uh, leading today. That you know, it, It's sometimes hard to preach and then to think of, of leading worship on top of that. Um, but I'm so thankful for Pastor Doug and the team uh, to do that. And, and can I just say, I'm really, really excited uh, to bring the word this morning. And this week, um, you know, I'm not just excited, but I'm a, I'm a little I'm a little nervous, um, a little nervous uh, to share a a very difficult and often really confusing uh, passage of scripture with you. And also, get ready for this, this week we are finally wrapping up our year and a half series through the Gospel of Mark. Yeah. Crowd participation, you guys are doing great. Come on, let's just breathe it in. Let's just take it in together. Come on, just take a deep breath with me and breathe out. Yeah, we're here. We did it. We made it. And, you know, this feels to me like finally getting to the last episode of your favorite TV series. And, and some of you Gen Zers, you Zoomers, you, you, you don't really understand in our binge-worthy and our stream-watching heavy world what it's like to finally get to the end of a TV show that has been going on for years and years and years and years all of you who are friends of, you know, are, are, are like Cheers or, or, or Frasier or MASH, you guys get what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. So let's think of MASH. MASH had over 100 million people watching it at one time when it was on the air. And that was around half of America watching the same show at the exact same time. That there were entire cities that looked like ghost sounds because people didn't leave their home that night. People skipped work. They didn't go to the store. New York City Plumbing, you can Google this. You can look this up. This is a real fact. New York City Plumbing almost went out and the city almost went into collapse because everyone was flushing their toilets at the exact same time after the TV show ended. They all ran to the bathroom. And we all know why, if we're a little older, it's because DVR did not exist yet. And so everyone, they didn't want to miss anything. So they sat through the commercials. And if 
And let's be honest, if you think our Mark series has gone for a long time and you're like, man, why is this thing not ending? I just want to encourage you and remind you that MASH ran for three times longer than the Korean War, which is the war that it was based off of. So I unfortunately, if, if I mean, if hopefully you can tell, I was not born yet when MASH aired. But that doesn't mean that I don't have my own similar experiences. I remember sitting and watching the Seinfeld finale uh, and the Friends finale with my family. And, uh, you know, I even remember a few years ago when there were watch parties for the finales of Lost and The Office and How I Met Your Mother and Breaking Bad. And, and maybe you remember the finale of, of something like MASH or, or Cheers when they turned off the lights or, or Frasier or The Sopranos or The West Wing or, or maybe even something like Boy Meets World or The Wonder Years. Yeah. How a story matters or, or how a story, how it ends, it matters a lot to us, doesn't it? Yeah, thank you. What's always striking to me is how a series finale or, or even the final chapter of a book can make or break the rest of the work. You know, have you ever finished a show and you just felt really disappointed? And maybe you felt like it was, you know, anticlimactic or, or that they didn't answer all the questions that you had. Or maybe you felt like it was the opposite, like, you know, all these people were acting out of character or everything was all for hype. And you don't need to search the internet for long to find rewrites from super fans or ways a person could have better ended a story, movie, or show. So now we enter into the Gospel of Mark. There is a lot, a lot of speculation around the, the ending of Mark. And this passage of scripture that we're going to study today is typically seen by scholarship, by people who are a lot smarter than me, as a passage added later by someone wanting to bring finality to the story. And so this is because the way it ends in verse 8, it's really weird. It ends kind of on a cliffhanger midway through a sentence. And the oldest manuscripts we have, they're questionable about the ending of Mark. Some of them uh, don't have the ending that we're going to study today. And some ancient writers thought the ending didn't fit with the rest of Mark's story about Jesus. And so I was definitely 100% one of those pastors who thought that they would never, ever preach or teach the Gospel of Mark, because I thought, man, there's no way that this thing was original. And yet, here I am, and here you are, and here we are doing this thing together. I actually took a class uh, for my master's uh, recently, and my professor, Dr. Lidbeck, uh, he actually spoke here during our Holy Spirit series. He had a great argument for the historicity of uh, this passage we're going to study today. And there were also books by this theologian named Nicholas Lunn. And a lot, I'm just letting you know, a lot of what you'll hear today are thoughts I've taken and I've borrowed from them. Um, so I wanted to make sure to give them credit up front. I'm not that smart. Um, I have friends who are smarter than me. It's a, it's a good recommendation to always have friends who are smarter than you. So, uh, But I don't want to bore you with the historicity of the book. I know I could talk forever about this. But I want to encourage you that even... Um, if there isn't clarity about the ending of Mark, that there are still a lot of people who think it is original. And even still, there are a lot of manuscripts and copies of Mark that included this ending, even when they thought it may have been added later. That these scribes, these people, in the uh, first few centuries of the church, still thought it deserved to be part of Scripture. And so if the early church, if they thought that it was worth including in the Gospel of Mark, and if there's solid evidence for it being original, then I think we should treat it as God's word and the rest of scripture as well. Amen? Amen, Amen. yeah. Crowd participation, you guys are great. So with that in mind, 
Uh, let's dive in this morning. We are going to read together Mark 16, uh, verses 9 through 20. And I, again, I'm sorry, I'm not as cool as Pastor Ben. I don't have a video of the story, so you're just going to have to deal uh, with me reading it with gusto. So it says, Now when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, and they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them, and they were, uh, as they were walking into the country, and they went back and told the rest. But they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at a table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. But he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. All these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Let's pray this morning. Dear Jesus, we just thank you and we ask that you would just illuminate the word in our hearts today, that this would not just be knowledge that we bring into our brains, but it would pierce our hearts today and that it wouldn't just be something that, you know, we, we turn to knowledge, but it would be something that we would put to action. Lord, I pray that this would be a life-changing day for us, that we would be different people than who we walked in as today, that you would uh, change our hearts, that you would challenge us and that you would inspire us, Lord says that your word will not fall to the ground, Lord. And so I believe, Lord, that you have something to speak to us today. So, Lord, we let you speak and we listen with open ears and open hearts. In your name, amen. Amen. So for the past few weeks, I've been leading a connect group on Tuesday nights about getting a better understanding of the Bible. And some of you, thank you for being there. And if any of you are interested, we're meeting on Tuesday at 6 p.m., uh, so you're more than welcome to be there. Our opening few classes, we've taken a comprehensive look at learning how to properly understand biblical narratives, uh, which is a story similar like uh, the one we're studying today. And one of the things that we learned this week is how certain stories in Scripture will reference earlier stories to add clarity and depth to what is being written. And so there are a lot of stories to draw on. Mark, uh, or uh, many stories talk about King David. Maybe you've read through First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, and you've seen that. In some stories, they talk about creation and they talk about the fall. In other stories, they might use smaller elements like places or situations to draw the reader to a place of understanding. And I want you to think about it. Uh, in this story, Jesus is just resurrected from the dead. That God is doing something new in the world that He has never done before. And I'm guessing that the disciples and maybe the early church were trying to kind of wrap their head around what all of this meant. And because everything is early to the early, uh, because everything was new to the early church, uh, Mark, he wanted to draw on events that they were familiar with. 
And so Mark, throughout his whole gospel, he draws on the story of the Exodus. See, this is the single greatest event to the Jewish people. This is why they celebrate Passover. This is why they're a nation at all. This is where we get the Ten Commandments from. And many stories, and even many songs, if you notice today, in the Old and New Testament, they draw on the Exodus. So in short, let me give you a little spark notes. Uh, The Israelites remained slaves in Egypt until one day God spoke to this man named Moses in a burning bush, and God told him that he would deliver and free them and make a nation out of them. You know, God was like, Moses. So God sends a bunch of plagues as a sign of his greatness and as judgment to Egypt until finally the Israelites are set free. And so a brilliant, uh, in a brilliant climax to this story, if you guys have watched the Charlton Heston movie, uh, God parts the waters of the Red Sea and Pharaoh and his army get swallowed up in the waters as the people walk to freedom on solid ground. So in the years leading up to uh, Jesus' ministry, uh, many of the Old Testament prophets who came after this, they wrote about a second exodus that God was going to do, a second exodus that would happen. And this is because the Israelites, they were again in captivity. They were in slavery. They were no longer a nation. And so they were looking for a time again when God would come and deliver them from the bondage and slavery they were in. So what we read in Mark 16 is about that new exodus that God is doing. So the first thing that we need to uh, to understand about this new exodus is that in Christ, we have a new freedom. And so if you've been with us for the past few weeks or you've seen or heard, uh, you've you've probably seen this uh, over the past few weeks from Pastor Ben. Uh, Just last week, he described how we even celebrate communion as the new Passover meal, that we take communion as a remembrance of God's deliverance in Christ. And other Gospels talk early on in the ministry of Jesus about him being the Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world. See, we can even see in the story of Palm Sunday, when the people are waving these palm branches, that they think Jesus has come as a revolutionary who's going to save them from their physical slavery in Rome. They think Jesus is coming to be their king who brings peace through destruction. But what we see in the crucifixion is how Jesus was truly the king who brought deliverance and peace through his own suffering and sacrifice. So on Good Friday, what we just celebrated a little over a week ago, as Jesus hung on the cross, a sign meant to be read in irony above his head, it said, here is the king of the Jews. What we read through the gospel of Mark is that Jesus was delivering the people, but that it wasn't from the oppression of Rome but that Jesus' ministry was about delivering them from the dominion of darkness. See, we see him casting out a legion, a literal army of demons out of a man in the very first few chapters of Mark. We see him bringing sight to the blind. We see him healing lepers. We see him cleansing the temple of sin and hypocrisy. And this adds even more meaning to the opening verses of Mark when Jesus says, as he defines the gospel, that it is about God's kingdom coming to earth, that God's kingdom reigns over the dominion of darkness. So we see right at the start of the verses today uh, when it says that Jesus, that he had cast out seven demons from Mary Magdalene. See, one thing that we learned in our uh, 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 better understanding of the Bible class is that numbers are really important when you read them. 
but you also want to make sure that you find you know, other things along the way, other connections like we're doing with the Exodus story. So in the Exodus story, we see that God is casting out seven nations of Canaan after he delivers, uh, delivers the Israelites from Egypt. The Israelites, they need to take the land of Canaan, and in order to do so, they need God to cast out these other nations. And it makes me wonder what kind of freedom and what kind of deliverance we're looking for today. You know, are you looking for earthly deliverance like many were during the ministry of Jesus? You know, we want God to make us wealthy or, or to crush our enemies. Or, or, you know, if God only changed this one thing, then, then we'd be happy. Or maybe we use God as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Or we want him to bless us by giving us better jobs or, or helping us get better grades. Or maybe we want our political candidate to get elected. And so we try to use the kingdoms of this world when we are called to be citizens of the kingdom of God. That Jesus came so we wouldn't be oppressed any longer by the power of sin and by the corruption of this world and its systems and powers. That Jesus came to deliver us from the dominion of darkness. So this, this is the new freedom we have in Jesus and in the new exodus. That this is what we've been talking about as we've been going through this gospel of Mark. That this is what the gospel of Mark has been all about. But the new exodus, it doesn't just have new freedoms in Jesus, but it is also accompanied by new and different signs of God's deliverance. So in order to get a better understanding of the rest of the passage in Mark 16, I want us to turn for a moment. If you have your Bibles with you, if you have a phone with a Bible app, uh, I want you to turn this morning to Exodus chapter 4. See right here, this is where the Lord had just appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And he told him to share with Pharaoh and the people of Israel that God was going to deliver them. And obviously, you would imagine, Moses had some doubts. And this is where we begin in Exodus chapter 4. It says, Then Moses answered to God, But behold, they will not, what? They will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not, uh, he didn't appear to you. So last week, Pastor Ben talked about being a skeptic of the resurrection. Um, and surprisingly, it, it, being a skeptic, it's not something we only deal with today. It's something Moses dealt with, and it's something that the early church dealt with as well. And just as Moses asked for a sign to help the people believe, the concept of helping people believe with signs is strong throughout this passage in Mark 16. That Jesus knew many people would question whether the disciples actually saw him after he resurrected. That's why Jesus mentions the idea of people believing or not believing in the resurrection several times throughout the passage in Mark 16. And just like Pharaoh in the Exodus story, if you're familiar with it, in Mark's account, he also uses the very specific language of people having hardened hearts. See, Jesus understood that people today may struggle believing in the resurrection just like people did in the first century and just like the Jewish people struggled to believe in God that he spoke to Moses in a burning bush and that he was going to deliver the Israelites. And I, I even understood in college that uh, some people might be skeptical of the resurrection and, and I was actually curious myself what some of them thought or believed. So me and a couple of friends, we went to a conference um, and it was a conference that was specifically for skeptics. 
and it was called Skepticon. You know, I think of it as a, as a, a, a really negative uh, transformer or, or maybe a very sad and jaded and depressing version of Comic-Con, you know. And, uh, and I know some of you might be skeptical of this, but uh, yes, there are conferences out there for skeptics. Or so I thought. And so it turns out this conference was not a conference for skeptics, but it was a conference for atheists trying to uh, disprove Christianity. And so the conference, it was hosted uh, by a group called the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. And, and their concept was, hey, believing in a flying spaghetti monster and believing in God is pretty much equally ridiculous. So we're the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. And they had guest speakers who debunked things like ghosts and aliens, and they had former Christian celebrities, and they had popular radio personalities, and it was uh, something. It was, it was something. And in the middle of this audience, there were these three unsuspecting, bright-eyed, and bushy-tailed Bible college students feeling really out of place and really uncomfortable at the inappropriate jokes and the jabs at our faith and our Savior. I want to encourage you, skeptics, or maybe not encourage you, just let you know, skeptics are everywhere. And so Jesus gave us signs to know that he is real. And these signs are not just a reminder to God's people that he is who he says he is, but they are also for a skeptical world, letting them know that Jesus is alive and that he is Lord. And so what we see next in Mark 16 is a list of several signs that will follow those who follow Jesus. And so in verses 15 through 18, it says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And it says, Whoever believes is baptized and is saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these what? These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So if you've ever wondered why some churches do things like snake handling and things like that, uh, here's the scripture. If you were wondering, you know, just for, just, you know, for, your, own, for your own curiosity, here's the scripture they use for evidence. And I'll be honest, um, I was actually thinking about asking a friend of mine to bring a snake in uh, this morning as an illustration. So, Rocky, if you want to come in, just kidding. Um, I, uh, I decided I didn't want to have anyone have a panic attack today. Um, I, I talked with a few friends, and they're like, if, you, if you're doing that, I'm not coming. And so, uh, no snakes. I'm sorry if you're disappointed. Um, <laughs> but, hey, I... I thought, you know, we already had a police cruiser a few weeks ago, and uh, I didn't want an ambulance here, too. You know, I, I didn't want that uh, to be what our church was known for. Um, yeah, so thanks for the sympathy laugh. Um, but I want to tell you right off the bat uh, that it doesn't say anywhere in Mark that we should let snakes bite us. Um, and not every part of this passage, believe it or not, was intended for us to take literally. And hoping uh, that maybe you're seeing now all of these parallels and symmetry to the Exodus story, that Jesus was using explicit parallels to make a comparison, uh, to make it all the more clear uh, to those who were reading or hearing these words of Jesus. So all of these signs, I want you to notice in Mark 16, are echoes to signs God also gave Moses in Exodus chapter 4. So in Exodus chapter 4, God changes Moses' staff into a serpent when he throws it on the ground, and when he picks it up, it turns into a staff again. 
God then says, if people don't believe that, that Moses should put his hand into his cloak, and when he pulls it out, it will be leprous, and when he puts it in again, it'll be healed. And he says, even if that doesn't work, that Moses should pour water onto the ground, and that God will turn it into blood that is poisonous to drink. So after all this, Moses is still not sure the people will believe him. And this is what God then says to Moses in Exodus 4. Starting in verse 10, it says, But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not elegant, uh, either in uh, the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of what? Of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So just as God is speaking through Moses, and God gave him Aaron to be his mouthpiece, God is still wanting to speak through us today. And what I love about Mark 16 is that Jesus was very specific to say that we would speak in new tongues or languages. In the passage where some signs were meant to be taken figuratively, Jesus wanted to make sure the people knew that tongues were an integral part of who they were as the people of God because it testified to him as the risen Lord that tongues are a sign of the new exodus of what God is doing in the world through Jesus Christ. One of the final signs of the new exodus uh, that God is doing in us and through us is the sign of water baptism. And uh, just as God had the Israelites pass through the waters of the Red Sea, and just like Jesus was buried into the depths and rose again, so we are called as believers of Jesus into the waters of baptism. That baptism is a sign that we're followers of him, just like a wedding ring is a sign that we uh, are married. And I'm really glad if you guys see that we are offering baptism in just a couple of weeks. And so if you haven't gotten baptized, make sure you sign up online or as you leave today. But I want to ask you, what signs are evident in your life that you're a follower of Jesus? What, evident, uh, what signs are evident in my life that I'm a follower of Jesus? And the biggest one should be that we are no longer controlled by the dominion of darkness and that doesn't mean we won't ever sin or fail, but it means that we realize that we have sinned and that we have fallen short, and we're now putting that in Christ's hands instead of our own. It also means that we stand up to injustice in how we love God and how we love others. You know, we do things like we fight sex trafficking through Project Rescue, and we end the world water crisis through World Vision. Are we letting God use us, or are we putting our trust in the world and its systems instead of him? Are we making excuses for our actions instead of taking responsibility? There should be inward signs of what God is doing in our lives if we claim to follow Jesus. But what are some of the outward signs that we follow him? In this passage, it says that those who are part of the kingdom of God, they heal people, they cast out demons, and they speak in other languages. And the kingdom of God is a future in which all things are made new. And as people who follow Jesus, we get to help bring some of that new kingdom into the here and now through the new exodus that Jesus is doing in us. 
So we might be good people, or we might be good co-workers, or we might even be the best parents, but if people don't know why we're doing these things or, or who we're doing them for, then it's pointless. That part of the gospel is that it's good news to everyone. And we're, you know, we're not just supposed to tell our friends that you know, whatever thing they're going through just sucks, you know, or, or just tell them that we will pray for them at some point. We're called to actually take a moment to pray for them right then and there and to ask God to meet their needs. That if we really truly believe that Jesus is risen from the grave, that we are called to share that good news with others and to not just embody it within ourselves. So what signs are in your life that you follow Jesus? But the new exodus, it's not just about this new freedom or new signs. There's one more aspect of this new exodus and that is about the one who is delivering us. What we see when we look at the old exodus and the new is that we have the same deliverer who is part of both. When Moses meets God at the burning bush, he has to know God's name in case the Israelites ask Moses who sent him, and God said to them, the Lord, tell them the Lord sent you. See, in Jesus, we don't just see a new type of Moses, but we also get to see God himself. And just like Moses came and delivered the people of Israel from their slavery and captivity, Jesus has come and delivered us from our sin and our depravity. And just as God is the true deliverer of Israel, we see God himself in the flesh in the Lord Jesus. And that is clearly seen in Mark 16. Then in Mark 16, in verse 19, it says that the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Can I have the worship team uh, come up this morning? When we started the gospel of Mark, we began with a question. Who is Jesus? And throughout the gospel, time and time again, we see the disciples not really understand who Jesus is. That they ask themselves, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Or, or they declare that he is the Christ, but then in the same breath, they fail to understand how he will suffer and die. What we see in the very last verses of Mark is something that is only written here in the entirety of the gospel stories that this is the only time that we read in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, or in John, the title, Lord Jesus. Did you catch that? That this is the only time that we read in the life of Jesus that he is the Lord. That we see the church saying this about him, and, and you know we see it in the later writings of Paul, but we never actually see it in the stories about his life. That in Mark, you know, Peter says that he is the Christ. The centurion at the cross, he says that he is the son of God. As he's on the cross, it says that he is the king of the Jews. But here, at the very end of the gospel, we finally understand, we fully understand, we've seen it all, and we realize that he is the Lord, that he is God. And why is that? 
It's because Mark wants to make sure that we understand that the same God who created the universe and set the Israelites free from slavery is the same God that was walking around this earth and the same God who died for you and me. The God who was present and active in Egypt is present and active today. And so throughout Jesus' ministry, the disciples, they were constantly doubting. They were constantly in fear. And, and like I said, they just didn't understand who Jesus was or why he came. And now at the very end of the gospel, we see that they finally get it, that it finally clicked. The light bulb went on. Ah, Jesus is the Lord. And maybe you've seen Jesus as, as maybe just a good teacher, or maybe... You thought he was a good person for children to believe in, so they would behave something like Santa Claus. Or maybe you've seen him as your personal savior, but you've never really considered him to be the Lord of your life or the God of the universe. As we wrap up this really long series on the Gospel of Mark, I want to encourage you to examine your life and see if you're walking in that freedom of the new Exodus. I want to challenge you to live out live out that exodus with supernatural signs and wonders as evidence that you are living in that freedom. Most of all, I want to I invite you to welcome Jesus into your life today. Not just as a great teacher or a great person, but as the physical representation of the invisible God of the universe. Will you just bow your head with me this morning? Let's pray. Savior, you are our King, you are our Deliverer, and you are the Lord. Lord, and I know some of us here have been walking in slavery, have been walking in bondage, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that you will bring deliverance, that you will bring freedom that comes through your name. Just as the Israelites walk through those chaotic waters and now onto dry land on the other side, you are, are bringing us through those trials and those tribulations into a place of freedom. Lord, and I pray for those here, me included, who fail to embody that freedom, who fail uh, to be people who live in that new exodus, in that new uh, promised land, who fail to be people who are part of the kingdom of God. I pray that you will help us people who not only live that internally, but be people who live that externally in the way that we love others, in the way that we pray for others, in the way that we seek the supernatural, that you are calling us deeper, Lord. And let us fix our eyes on you, Lord, this morning. I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, that you would meet them right now, that they would feel your presence, that they would know who you are and that you are God, that you are offering them freedom, Lord, we just take a moment and we search our own hearts for, for what step we need to do. Amen. We stand with me this morning. We're going to respond with one more song. And this song is about the freedom we have in Christ. This song is about uh, him, him doing something new. And I just want us to take a moment to reflect and respond to what he's doing in us. Let's take a moment to 
that the old is gone and the new has come and that you have ushered in a new creation. We are part of that kingdom, Lord. And so we follow after you and we pray that you will give us that new power, that new freedom that comes in following you, God, that we are in a lost and broken and hurting world and you've called us to be your ambassadors. You are sending us out Lord, and so we are taking that call to be your missionaries, to be your people. That the same spirit that brought Christ from the dead is living in me. It's living in us, Lord. So I pray that you will empower us, that you will equip us. Lord, let us be people who walk in that freedom walk in that newness, who walk in that power. Lord, and I pray for anyone here who is not part of that kingdom, who has not accepted you or realized that you are their Lord and their Savior. For anyone here who's wanting to follow you, Lord, I pray that you will meet them in a real and tangible way where they are right now. We give you our devotion. We give you our everything. Lord, and we pray is that as, as we go out into this lost and broken world, that you would go before us, that you would be behind us, that you would be all around us because we can't do it alone. We need you, Lord. So we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor, not just because of what you've done, but because of what you are doing and what you are going to do. that new exodus. We give you all the praise today in Jesus' name. Everyone together says, amen. Amen. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today, maybe for the first time, or maybe you're rededicating your life, uh, we want to connect with you. So come find me. I'll try to be up here at the front. And we have some resources for you as you go um, and go in the grace of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.